This is History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I hope you're having a great day. This is episode 51. This is a continuation of the conversation that I had with Philip Bonner. He is the chairman of Historic Preservation uh, for the committee of the Richmond Randolph Lodge Number 19 and Mason's Hall. That's downtown. It's the corner of uh, right near the corner of 18th and Franklin Street. Fantastically interesting building. Um, one of the pro- again, I said this a lot last time. Probably the one of the most underrated historic buildings in the city of Richmond. Um, notice it. Notice if you get a chance. If you ever check out, they have um, uh, they do have open houses every once in a while, which are well worth your time to check out. Um, also, check out the first part. Episode 50, um, the beginning, we actually talk more about the 18th century influence of the building, Mason's Hall, with John Marshall, and all kinds of other folks. This part is going to cover mostly the 19th century. Normally, that means we go straight to the Civil War. Um, But, while we do actually talk about the Civil War, there is another war. The War of 1812, the Forgotten War. We actually do talk about that a little bit. Um, but but just before we get to it, I'm not going to run my mouth too much, but check out History Replays today on Facebook, Tumblr, at History Replays on Twitter, um, History Replays today on Instagram. Um, but it's been a really long time since I, uh, I have mentioned this, I, I think. I think it's been a long time. Um, but if you enjoy the show, uh, you've got more than 51 episodes now. I mean, that's, you know, days, days of listening to history about the greater Richmond area. It's all free. Uh, But if you enjoy the show, I would appreciate it if you would make an investment in the show. Uh, Go to historyreplaystoday.org. You can click the support HRT button. You know, make a donation. Hundred bucks, five bucks, one buck. A million bazillion dollars would be awesome. But whatever you can give, that would be fantastic just to help. Um, this is a, a labor of love. Uh, anything you can do to, to you know, help pay for gas to get to, to go talk to these folks. Um, yeah, invest in the podcast. Make it yours. Uh, but let's go ahead and get straight to the conversation that I had with Philip Bonnard about Mason's Hall. Uh, as, as you heard in the first part, uh it's the oldest Masonic Lodge in the United States, and perhaps the first building in America built as a Masonic Lodge. So here's my conversation, part two of my conversation with Philip Bonner. Um, and you also mentioned uh, that doctors wanted to move in here. Um, as we've just finished up our uh, 150th Civil War extravaganza and completely forgot the fact that it's the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812, right. um, I was actually interested to read that there, this was a hospital. In, uh, in August of 1814, this building was confiscated by force by the military. Okay. You don't read that too much, but it's in the minutes of Richmond number 10. And uh, that's where I discovered that if the public doesn't have access to the minutes of these two lodges, you don't really know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it appears at first to be a charitable act, like the lodges said, here, take our building, use it as a military hospital, when in fact it was because the British had just landed at Baltimore, they were threatening Washington, that they got very nervous down here in Richmond, mm -hmm. and they needed to be prepared, so they took the action. Now, that didn't mean that the lodges didn't meet here. It did mean that their formal meetings were held elsewhere, okay. because the rooms were probably taken up with with beds. Mm -hmm. But uh, they owned it, of course, and they held probably smaller meetings here and maintained the building throughout a period that lasted about a year and a half huh. before they came back. Yeah, and and would there have been many, um, I mean, there's not, in comparison, especially to the Civil War, I mean, there's very few casualties or... There were very few. This didn't turn out to be an area okay. of great fighting in the world right. of 1812, but they didn't know that. Yeah, okay. They were prepared. Right. right. The really amazing story with regard to saving Mason's Hall is, it, is when the Union forces entered Richmond, uh, April 3rd, 1865. Right. And, 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 and before we even get to that, I, I, I think the next big thing that happens here is Lafayette. Oh yeah, right. Eighteen twenty-four. Because um, I had uh, a couple people ask about that on Facebook, and it was something that I absolutely—it's one of my favorite things. I think yeah. just his trip to his America, tri his triumphant tour of America, uh, a great Freemason who supposedly was raised as a Freemason by a lodge up in, I believe, northern New Jersey during the Revolutionary War. One of the things that Lafayette said in one of his and, thousands... I'm sorry, did you say he wasn't a Mason before the war? There are some uh, history accounts that say that he actually was not a Mason until he was serving huh. our okay. country in the Revolutionary War. And there are other accounts that say he was a member of a French lodge prior to the war. But, okay. but both could actually be true because in those days... During the Revolutionary War, something called American Freemasonry began, and it really was a rebellion against the European lodges and their influence. Mm -hmm. We were rebelling against Britain. Yeah. We wanted no, no more part of it. So it was, it was very important to, given Washington's support for Freemasonry during the Revolutionary War, to, uh, to join a lodge here in America that was established here in America, mm -hmm. and to show your, your loyalty. And uh, Lafayette said in one of his speeches, I was never respected as a commander in the Revolutionary War by our commander-in-chief until I became a Freemason. Huh. Then, then I earned his full trust. Washington's reliance on trust was legendary. It was how he made his decisions. It was who he surrounded himself with. And his definition of trust was Freemason. Yeah. And that was really big. And, so. and, and I wonder if, um, it's probably not even any way to know this, um, but is, you know, a person like Lafayette or George Washington, um, you know, you mentioned, we, we kind of talked about before where there are the different levels and you have to kind of take tests and achieve different things. Are they going to be... Uh, just a regular dude that has to do the same stuff or you know are they like the star football player that might get a little help on the test or no, no. okay freemasonry was consistent in every respect you earned it 
Mm -hmm. You earned your title Master Mason with the work you did to earn that title. Okay. That was part of being respected as a man and as a brother of the mm -hmm. craft. So they all did it the same. Mm -hmm. That's part of what binds the, the thread of all Freemasons is that we've all done it the same. Okay, and so when he comes to Richmond, um, he comes twice to the city, right? Is this the first time or the second time? No, well, he's actually... He, he, he's rotating himself in this area of Virginia, and he comes in and then goes south and then comes back through. So that was the second visit. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not like right. he didn't go back to France, but he, he, he I think he goes to Norfolk or, or yeah, something he, like that. He went, and comes he went back. quite a far south from here. I mean, he literally yeah. toured all 13 states, uh, the 13 original states. He, he tried to visit most of them. Yeah, so, and I guess that itself... Um, 1823? 1824. 1824, okay. When he, when he had his formal visit to Richmond, mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things on the agenda was his formal visit to Mason's Hall. Mm -hmm. And uh, he walked right up the stairs into the front of the building. Uh, there was a parade party that brought him here. Edgar Allan Poe was a 15-year-old kid who was one of the leaders of the parade, and he stood right outside the fence here uh, while they were inside the building. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came up to the lodge room with his son, George Washington Lafayette, and his secretary, Lavasseur. All were Masons, mm -hmm. and they all participated in, the, in a formal meeting where John Marshall was sitting in that chair overseeing the meeting as our Chief Justice. Mm -hmm. And so everybody came back to Mason's Hall, who was anybody in Freemasonry. And in this room, he was made an honorary member of Richmond Randolph Number 19. Right. And so was his son and his private secretary. And, and I guess um, knowing more about the building in here, and I don't know exactly how much you know about his trip to, to, to America, um, but it seems like, I mean, he's not going to lodges in every place, mm -hmm. is he? Or is he's, um, he's, he's or is this, is it's this one special? Well, this was very special because this was, this was several things to Lafayette. This was the Grand Lodge of Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, he made his name as the commander of the forces in Virginia during the Revolutionary mm -hmm. War. This is where the war ended. This was also a building connected to Washington's memory, and that okay. meant everything to him. He uh, also viewed the Houdon statue while he was here. Yep. Uh, he, uh, you know, he had the memory of people like Edmund Randolph, who had passed away in 1813. Uh, this building was, had the association with John Marshall, who was the strongest man in government at that time, mm -hmm. and who's sitting in this room. And, and they, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they know each other as well from the Revolution? Or, I'm not I, really sure I, I exactly how that I don't know how works. close they would have been in the Revolution. Okay. Uh, I, I don't believe that they served together. Okay, all right. Uh, I know that John Marshall spent some time at Valley Forge. Mm -hmm. Some say that's where he was raised, a mason in a field lodge at Valley Forge. That's speculative. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know okay. how close they would have been. But I do know that they left this room and they walked around the corner in a big parade procession to the Union Hotel and had a big feast and banquet uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, uh, 
Lafayette and John Marshall sitting at the head table. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they broke off after that was over and John Marshall went one way and, and Edmund Randolph went to his hotel which was just over there. Mm -hmm. And it was all in this two or three block area. Sure, right. So, um, Man, if I had a time machine, that'd be, that's one, it's in, it's in the tops of, I'd love to go see that party. Yeah. That existed. It sounded like it was just amazing. You can just imagine. Uh, here is and this is 1824, and here is a man who was a hero of the revolution, mm -hmm. but he was also one of the three people that Washington had a father-son relationship with. Right. You had you had Lafayette, you had Bushrod Washington, the son of his brother John Augustine, who inherited Mount Vernon, and then the third man was Edmund Randolph. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had a special bond with Washington, and so Lafayette represented all of that. And uh, I mean, what memories he would have been able to share? Right. And are there any kind of um, details of? I mean, I'm assuming it wasn't a regular, you know, some sort of special event that happened here. Um, you know, when he's here, um, I mean, are there any details that of what? kind of celebration you know what well they 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 spent extra money to eliminate mason's hall with the finest uh decorations mm -hmm. outside and inside this room each of the officers stations would have been decorated with with sashes and ribbons i'm sure uh they they would have spared no expense to make mason's hall look like a jewel for his visit and, and like these are the office stations like these, these little uh, these three white structures in this room are officers' stations. What you even call the houses? Like a well, they're they're palladian motifs. Palladian motifs. That's a palladian motif. That's exactly like the front windows of the oh, building right. would have been in those days. And so yeah, uh, okay. But that's what that's what a palladian motif looks like. Okay, cool. Uh, and that's what the front windows and the front door would have looked like. All right. So they brought the designs in here. So. These, this woodwork you're looking at is probably uh, the most important Masonic woodwork in America. Huh. And the, the pattern for the master's station comes from page 53 of the Batty Langley pattern book, 1756 edition that Washington used at Mount Vernon. Okay. So, the same design that Washington used for his Palladium window in his new room was built in three dimension for that station. Okay. And uh, so th their importance to American history cannot be understated, the, what they represent. Yeah. And uh, they, they go all the way back to the earliest days of Mason's Hall. That's amazing. Um, and uh, I guess we can go on because I, 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 I the Civil War. Yeah, I didn't because I know I'm gonna say uh, among other people, um, Catherine Jester was asking about Lafayette. Like I said, I was asking it anyways. I'm mm -hmm. really fascinated about that whole thing. Um, but Buzz Wayman uh, was he was the one that asked about uh, um, the Civil War thing because um, what and I've heard about a hundred different versions right. of that story. <laughs> well, the, and, the truth is uh, the the public usually hears the story of what the Union forces did when they entered Richmond mm -hmm. to, to help the citizens put the fires out, stop the pillaging. But the underlying story is Freemasonry. 
And why am I saying that? Well, the commanding general uh, was a Freemason. When, when Lee's troops... Come on, uh, General Weitzel? Yes. Okay. Godfrey Weitzel was a Freemason. And when, when Lee's troops fell at Petersburg, mm -hmm. and, it was, uh, and word was sent to Richmond, uh, to Jefferson Davis, that uh, Richmond was falling. And, and the Confederates began to burn all their stores of warehouses in Richmond and set this place on fire. The citizens were left with half the city on fire and half the city in pillage and ruin. And it was Godfrey Wetzel who sent uh, his provost marshal, Atherton H. Stevens, also a Freemason. He said, you go to Richmond ahead of everyone else. And he gave him two sets of orders. The first was to raise the, the national United States flag over the Capitol. And as soon as he did that, the second set of orders was to find the Masonic Hall and save it. Hmm. And he rode out of that crowd on horseback and he came down into this area and he rode up to a crowd of people and said, please, sir, tell me where the Masonic Hall is. And it just so happened the man he rode up to was a man named Emmanuel Seaman, who happened to be the Grand Tyler of Mason's Hall for the Grand Lodge. He had been a Mason for 15, 20 years. So they, they rode here on horseback together. And as soon as they came to Mason's Hall, uh, Atherton Stevens, the provost marshal, assigned a guard to Mason's Hall, and it was saved. What's his first name? Atherton? Atherton. Atherton. That's a heck of a name. Yeah, A.H. Stevens, but it's Atherton. Okay, Atherton. And Mason's Hall was saved by that man who posted that guard because the buildings just two blocks from here were on fire. Right. He also and, and this is a tender box. I mean, yeah. Like this wooden building is a couple of sparks, and this thing is going to town. That's right. And... Uh, he also posted guards for the homes of Emanuel Seaman and his daughter mm -hmm. and other Masons in town uh, had guards posted at their homes. It was an incredible show of brotherly love. And then they, they, when the Union forces came in, they began to help the wives and children of men who had fled Richmond in the Confederate armies or mm -hmm. died in the war, and they were left with no home or, or no food, no stores of supplies. And so uh, you, you had a situation where people expected the Union forces to come in with, with uh, you know, guns and fire, and they came in with brotherly love instead. Sure. And they saved this town. Mm -hmm. And that's how Mason's Hall was saved. And we have a sword over there in a case next to the master's station that was left here by uh, one of the Union soldiers that uh, was posted as a guard for Mason's Hall. Huh. And the real amazing story, uh, the day after that, when Lincoln arrived in Richmond, mm -hmm. he walked up 17th Street, just a block away from us here at Franklin. He turned left to go up to the Capitol, mm -hmm. but the crowds were surrounding Lincoln, um, and he's being led by Godfrey Wetzel at the time, who had arrived in Richmond as the commanding general of the Union forces. and. Uh, he's on his tour of Richmond, you know, and he's on his way up the hill to the Capitol. But that night, they actually held a meeting of Richmond Number 10 in this building. Hmm. And they had just enough men to sit in the officers' chairs, 
and they had three Union soldiers sitting here as visitors. Nice. This is the day after the city fell, and the only three visitors to the first meeting in Mason's Hall were from lodges in New York and Massachusetts. Yeah. I, right I, in this room, you could just imagine the emotions. I mean, not only was it emotional from the standpoint of, well, we supported the Confederate cause, you've been fighting us for four years, but it's also emotional because now we're completely dependent on you. All of the money in our treasury was Confederate dollars, and now it's worth zero. Mm -hmm. We're starting over. Right. And we're opening our arms and saying, help. The only notes for that meeting, it was very simple. They basically decided to adjourn almost after they started, but the notes said, we just need to send word to the commanding general of the Union forces in Richmond to find out whether we are going to be molested or not. Right. Can we continue to operate or not? Sure. Of course, they found out that the answer was yes. Yeah. They were fully supported. Right. The, the commanding general was a Freemason and gave them all the support. So there were no meetings interrupted here at Mason's Hall. Mason's Hall was saved, and they went forward. I have... Um like I said, I read, I've read and heard a bazillion versions of that story, and never once has it really uh, occurred to me, um, you know, as we were talking about the tribute to George Washington and everything, uh, and the parallel of how much the Confederacy, you know, Jefferson Davis in particular, somewhat fancied himself, uh, uh, you know, the, the next generation Jeff, uh, George Washington, mm -hmm. um, any kind of role in the Confederacy of Masons. Is that... Uh, I mean, is Jeff Davis a Mason, or are, the, are any of these upper officials? Or uh, I, I, would, I, I would imagine there were Masons all over the, the top levels on both sides of the war. Uh, but I don't know about Jefferson Davis. But you are right when you say that Jefferson Davis uh, clearly associated the Confederate cause with Washington. Mm -hmm. He even used the equestrian statue as uh, the logo for the Confederate flag. Absolutely. And I think well, he the even state took, seal, the, con yes, the Confederate and, seal, right? And he took his oath in front of the Right in front of it on know. Washington's 130th birthday in, in, yeah. a, in a driving rain. I know. And then, so there was a clearly, as they were proud of their association with Virginia history, so was Lee. Yeah. I mean, Lee, that's why Lee couldn't take up arms against his own state. Sure. His family goes way back in, in the colonial roots of Virginia. Right. You know, so. He couldn't do that. So, but is there any, I mean, I've never heard of it. I mean, is there anything that happens here? That of, of, it's kind of a weird thing to say, I guess, over that four years. I mean, is there... No, this was a quiet place. There was no, no fighting right here. Right, yeah, and yeah. And the meetings and the, the lodges were strong, and they were well attended. Okay. And uh, remember, leading up to the Civil War, you had as many as 10 different Masonic bodies using this right. building. So there was a lot of activity here. Yeah. And because Virginia was a, the most protected city, there were no skirmishes here. Right, sure. So it was a place of calm. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, right up and Right up until the city fell, and then everything felt like a question mark as to what's going to happen. And we found out that they were going to save Mason's Hall. Yeah. So it's a great... It's a great piece of Richmond history, and we actually have a letter in our collection here written by Emanuel Seaman on April 20th of 1865, where he writes it to 
Putnam Lodge in Cambridge, Massachusetts as a thanks for the, what Atherton Stevens did. That was where he was raised a Master Mason and he wrote a letter of thanks to that lodge. And in that letter, he talks about what happened that night, April 3rd mm -hmm. in Richmond and what huh. this city looked like and how that man rode out of that crowd on horseback and wanted to know where the Masonic Hall was. Yeah. And that he led him here. He, it was a first-hand account. It's a great treasure, that letter. I, re I just read that letter out loud in our meeting uh, this past month. Fantastic. Uh, from that podium. I, it had never been read before in this room, and nothing could be a more poignant example of a piece of history from 150 years ago that has to do with this space, this building, than reading that letter. Wow. So. Um, and I guess the, the uh, normally when I do these with conversations with letter overalling, I my brain automatically went there. I don't know. There's really a story, but uh, when is uh, when are Masons in America integrated? When, is it, when like, are Masons integrated, or are they ever? Is it ever? I mean, I assume it's an all-white organization. Oh no! Originally, like no. like in the 18th century, would there have been? Uh, black no. members or absolutely really okay and, fair and, enough and there are Prince Hall Masons that that began in the 1790s and, New York. and what is what is that that's is that... an african-american Masonic organization that's okay. still, still strong to this day uh, yeah I've heard of that they even visited Masons Hall recently uh, huh okay but, but uh, no that uh, there was integration huh, interesting. Uh, we even have a we know here that we have evidence that uh, there were African-American members of the lodges even during, before, during, and after the Civil War huh, okay. in this building. Huh, all right. So remember, you know, a, a Masonic Hall, especially the, the king of Masonic Halls, Mason's Hall here, is, is a place where men come together. Uh, you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion. You talk about what makes men better and you build brotherhood. So uh, it's not a place where you would often find anything that felt like segregation. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, and we've talked for a really long time, but I don't want to end this until we, and it'll be a little ways from when we're actually speaking that I'm going to post this, but um, you guys are going to be getting your fundraising on. Yes, we have just begun here at Mason's Hall an effort to fully restore this building for the American public. It's never been done before, never been attempted. It's a huge undertaking. This building is 227 years old. It needs a tremendous amount of work. Uh, it requires a tremendous amount of restoration. But more importantly, we've just been through an exercise in actually saving the building. Mm -hmm. We discovered a failed truss in December. Holy smokes, that was like an enormous truck. I don't know. People could hear that. It sounded like just outside. <laughs> didn't sound like it was going to stop. Sorry. But, but we found we found in December a failed truss just above our heads here mm -hmm. that almost uh, allowed the the weight of the cupola and the entire building structure to come down through the center of the building. And through a lot of work for two and a half months, we were able to come up with a solution that the lodge could afford to fully support the the failed trusts, and 
and that's in place now. So as of February 12th, we were secure. Uh, five days after that, we had seven to eight inches on the roof of this building, and I had been told for two months that if we'd have had six inches of roof weight in addition to the other 40,000 pounds, that would have been the tipping point. And so we almost lost Mason's Hall. And there's never been an example in Virginia history of a colonial period structure collapsing and being put back up. So it would have been the end. But we saved it. And thank goodness we did. Now, uh, I hope that the public will come together with us in our fundraising campaign and help us to raise the money to save this national treasure because this is not just about Freemasonry. This is about national leadership. This is about a founding father Edmund Randolph. This is about honoring Washington for the first time in our country's history. And uh, what a landmark this would be for the city of Richmond. And what a story it would be nationally for what these men were all about when they created this building. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the stories of Edmund Randolph and John Marshall. And we're, we're, we're forming a new foundation around one that exists today the one that exists today is called Mason's Hall 1785, a charitable foundation. It's been around for about 18 years. It's fully 501c3 registered. We want to mold it into a, a foundation called Historic Mason's Hall Foundation. We want to bring the word historic together with Mason's Hall in the minds of the public so that they can start associating the, the tremendous history that's taken place here with the building itself. And uh, we're hopefully going to put together a national fundraising campaign around that. Uh, the mission is clear, uh, to educate humanity through the conservation, uh, preservation, and original period restoration of Mason's Hall in Richmond, Virginia, and to uh, pay tribute in the public domain to our honorable founders, Edmund Jennings Randolph and John Marshall, in our efforts to show this building as they created it in 1787. It's a, it's a monumental undertaking, but what that shows as a mission statement is that we're building an educational foundation around this building. Mm -hmm. It's not just about fixing the historic fabric, but it's about educating the public. Right. And uh, that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I've dedicated myself to that. and. And a lot of the great members of our lodge have done, and I think the Masonic community is is really falling behind it as well. Mm -hmm. I think the Grand Lodge of Virginia is very excited about it, and I think it's just going to continue to grow. And uh, I think the, the the community is already latching on to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a we've just done a. Uh, we're finishing now a class at VCU in their Graduate School of Urban Studies uh, Building Revitalization Program. The students chose Mason's Hall this semester as their project, and they're creating some great logos, slogans, a website, brochures, things that we can use in our fundraising campaign. It's really going to look good. Fantastic. That's exciting. Yeah. Because um, it's a beautiful old building, that beautiful, wonderful piece of our history. So. And just sitting here in the middle of Richmond, and, and it's like a ghost, and the public doesn't know it's here. Right, it's the, absolutely. It's, it's the greatest secret in Richmond history. It really is. It's just sitting right here for all to see, and yet people right. walk by and don't know what it is. Sure. Well, um, on that note, um, 
thank you very much my pleasure for, for your time um it was cool to my talk pleasure. to you glad glad we could finally make it happen good all right that was it that's what happened thank you very much philip i really appreciate your time uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you did, let me know on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, um, wherever. Email me, Jeff Major, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R, at historyreplaystoday.org. Invest in the podcast by, you know, kicking in a couple shekels there at historyreplaystoday.org and um, make it a great day.